Thanks for joining the Capital Church podcast channel. For more resources and to learn more about Capital Church, please visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at capitalchurch.co. All right. Well, uh, you guys know the drill. Turn to your neighbor, give him a high five, tell him how much you love him. Come on. You guys excited to be here tonight? All right. Uh, turn to your other neighbor and say, go Rams. I mean, come on, you can't lie. When you said that, you felt good, right? You felt good? How many of you like to win? All right, go Rams. I'm a Rams fan. Um, amen. Uh, well, if you brought your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 4. This is the second. This is the penultimate, technically. Uh, the second to the last message in this sermon series. Uh, this is, uh, we've actually been in a sermon series for about eight, nine, ten weeks, I think. And uh, we've been talking about the future. And so uh, tonight I'm going to talk about something I've actually never talked about in 20 years of ministry. And uh, a lot of it is because people get really folksy about it. They, they use kumbaya language and it kind of weirds me out. I tend to be very logic driven. And so, but I decided, hey, if we're going to talk about the future, we got to talk about heaven. And so... Uh, um, I'm going to talk about heaven. We do have Tylenol or Excedrin or some other stuff. I don't know what the other stuff would be. Ibuprofen. Uh, if your head is spinning at the end of this message, my point, I think it's important that we understand uh, heaven and how it relates to hope. So tonight I'm going to be talking about heaven. Next week, please invite as many people as you can uh, to this service, which is my favorite service, 5 o'clock service. You guys are amazing. We're going to end the series uh, by talking about new heavens, new earth, what that is. So we're going to take a look at Revelation 21, Revelation 22. And then uh, midterm elections are right around the corner. So I'm really excited about this next sermon series, which is going to uh, begin, at the, I think it's the first Sunday in November. Uh, we're calling it our Grateful Series. How many of you think we need to make our country grateful? Again, can I say that again? Great. Full. Did you see what I did there? Thank you, Shane. Grateful. Again, I think the church needs to practice um, gratefulness, and so um, I'm excited about that. Thank you for all your prayers. My wife is doing great. We are 32 weeks this Sunday. Is that right, Pastor Connie? 32, 33. So we're in the home stretch. Uh, my boys, did I mention this last week? The ultrasound tech said my boys are really tall. And so they got good genes. I'm like, I, I know you've been wondering. I'm five foot eleven and three quarters, but I'm hoping they get my dad's genes. Pastor Ken, he's six foot five, so uh, they're doing well. And so I'll be gone for about two years. So uh, you have me for the next three weeks. All right, you guys ready? Is there anything guys uh, need to mention? Are we good? My brain, guys, my brain is melting. All right, come back to me, brain. Um, Father, go ahead and bow your heads, close your eyes. Father, we thank you for uh, being with us this evening. Lord, I thank you for your strength. And uh, Lord, we thank you for uh, being with us this evening. We can sense your presence. So Lord, I just thank you for taking this word and uh, doing a deep work in our hearts. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Before we get to Revelation chapter 4, uh, I do kind of want to just uh, maybe refresh our recollection uh, the whole sermon series, we've been talking about God's ultimate future for God's people. Uh, the question that we've kind of seek to like uh, answer and uh, flesh out is where, where, where's the world going? Uh, where's the world headed towards? Um, is the world headed towards a version of the planet of the apes? 
is it headed towards, you know, people have dystopian uh, a vision or projection of the future. Some kind of like we, you know, you have movies that have zombie, like a zombie apocalypse. We have, um, you know, a nuclear age, the possibility of a nuclear age. Some futurists that I read every now and then, they talk about a radical technopoly uh, where robots and automatons and machines rule the world. And so we've been talking about, okay, where is God's world going? Is God going to take this world, the, the, this continuum of space and time and matter, and throw it into a cosmic trash heap? Uh, we've answered the question, no. God will um, put this world to rights. And next week, we're going to flesh out what that looks like to the best of my ability. So the premise of this sermon series, just to refresh your recollection, uh, is this. It's essential to know the ultimate hope held out or laid out for God's people in the Bible because it shows us how to live in the present. How many of you want to be good news people as opposed to bad news people, right? I think we want to be good news people. I think we want to be people of hope and the way we can become people of hope and the way we can become good news people is we have to have an understanding of God's future. Uh, for example, I think we mentioned this two weeks ago, maybe last week. My brain, come on, mind, come back to me. But we said something about painting the house. Man, if you're going to paint the house, but you know that the next day the house is going to go into demolition, why in the heck would you paint the stinking house? Right? And all the painters said amen to that. Right? So if your house is going to be going to demolition, there's no, there's no reason for you to redecorate, right, or repaint it or wallpaper or whatever if it's going to be destroyed. So if this world's going to end in destruction, right, if this world really doesn't mean anything and God's going to annihilate, annihilate it, why should we even be singing tonight? Why should we be building for the kingdom? Why should we be loving people? Why should we be serving? What is our purpose here on planet Earth, if the world is going to end in some unmitigated disaster. But the good news is our world will not end that way. God will make all things new. How many of you were here the first week of uh, this sermon series? It would have been like uh, August or whatever. Uh, do you guys remember the story about my mom? How many of you love Pastor Connie? I, I love this story just as a refresher because I think we have to regularly remind ourselves about the truth. Why? Because we regularly forget the truth. And uh, this uh, was the first, uh, I think the first Sunday we I, uh, illustrated uh, the point of getting your mind in the future uh, by sharing a story about my mom. Uh, it was the NBA Finals. It was like in June. And uh, it was, I think, game two, game three. So it was Cleveland and Golden State. If you know anything about my mom, she's a diehard Golden State Warrior fan. She loves Steph Curry more than she loves me. It's a weird can you pray for her? Um, but don't argue with her. She might punch you in the face if you're a Cleveland. I'm kidding. She won't do that. She's very sweet. But uh, they recorded the game, and we came over to my parents' house, and uh, they were a little bit late. So I was like in the end of the third quarter, kind of the beginning of the fourth quarter. Uh, my mom and dad, they came in late. They went into their little uh, room, and they started watching. And the first half was really tense. And it got to the point where my mom, she couldn't handle it. So she walked into the future where I was, because I was like the beginning of the fourth quarter, and uh, she, she just couldn't. She couldn't um, handle it. She asked me, Chris, okay, what's going on with the game? And uh, my response was, hey, Mom, it's good news. Um, we're winning, and Steph Curry's having a great game, 
And uh, we're pulling, we're going to pull this out. So I remember, man, she instantly had a smile on her face and she went back from the future to the present and she got in her lazy boy and she popped her feet up, put her hands behind her head. She was the OG at that moment, right? She wasn't stressing about anything. She wasn't anxious about anything. My dad, he didn't know the future, but he was freaking out. He was a bit of a grump. Got to admit it. I'm kidding. No, my dad never gets grumpy, but, um, uh, it's funny how the future, her understanding of the future, it, it changed the structure of how she was um, thinking and even behaving. And so the point of this whole future series is that the future alters the fundamental structure of how we live in the present. You, had a, you have an idea of where this world is going. You have an idea of God's good plan for your life and God's good plan for creation. Um, you'll be able to handle anything. Can I get an amen? Could you turn to your neighbor, give him a high five? So how does, as we segue, how does the future relate to hope and heaven? And that's what I want to talk about this evening. How does this future, understanding this future, affect how we live in the present? And how does that affect our understanding of heaven and uh, hope? And I want to talk a little bit about heaven tonight. And, and the reason is because a lot, of, a lot of Christians, everyone say Christians, a lot of Christians and their thinking is really muddled, it's kind of mixed up, it's a little bit confusing, uh, a little bit disordered when it comes to heaven. And t- tonight I want to uh, challenge us, I want us to rethink our understanding of heaven. For example, many... Many, and this is a children's book. I just read this um, recently. It was by a Christian author, and she's talking about heaven to kids, and this is her caricature of heaven. It's sitting on a soft, white, fluffy cloud, right? Heaven for many people is like sitting next to the stars, right? We talk about this. It's, it's, like, it's like shining for eternity like a, like a cosmic glow stick. Um, this postmortem existence at this children's author, she was a Christian again. Again, I think it represents how many Christians think about heaven um, in, in many ways, millions of, of Christians, how they think about heaven. Uh, she talked about how if you're really, 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 really good, you can enter into this um, state of sitting on a soft cloud. So many of us, when we think of heaven, what do you think? You think of it like inert, you think of like something static, you think of like people lounging around like on a disembodied cloud, right? Eating like disembodied bonbons or whatever, like can even taste something that's disembodied, right? It's like we have disembodied cellos and harps and um, everyone's just kind of like chilling for um, a thousand years. Um, chilling for a thousand years in a disembodied state on a disembodied cloud um, is my definition of hell. And I say that a lot. Uh, but an old French word, as I was kind of writing this message out on, on heaven, this old French word came to me. It's called ennui. And ennui basically means extreme boredom. Like if I have to turn into a disembodied soul and I'm just like hanging on a cloud, like glowing, like that's just not like my cup of tea. Maybe that's your cup of tea and you need some rest or whatever. But that's just not something that I think a lot of people um, are terribly excited about. Now, this isn't intended to be rhetorical, but didn't God make our bodies? Right? I'm going to bring this back to heaven, but come on. Didn't God make our bodies? We find this in Genesis chapter 1. Did God make matter? Right? Did he make soil? Did he make food? Right? Did he make asparagus and broccoli and, come on, uh, meat and how many like to eat? Right? He made that stuff. God made pleasure. God made um, goodness. God made this world good. He made work, 
And if he made this world, then he certainly made us for this world. Unfortunately, many of us think when it comes to heaven that heaven is like a, it's like a non-temporal, non-spatial location filled with disembodied souls. But that's not what we find in the New Testament when it comes to heaven. And you might be surprised by this. In the words of many different scholars, um, there's very little said in the Bible about going to heaven when you die. In fact, it works the other way around. The New Testament emphasizes, everyone say emphasizes. It emphasizes how heaven has crashed into earth. The New Testament does not talk about escaping from the earth or God annihilating the earth or destroying the the continuum of space and time and matter and bodies. What you find in the New Testament, according to one scholar, through Jesus, his death and his resurrection, is that God is taking sovereign rule over creation itself as it is in heaven. In fact, the New Testament talks about, come on, not a disembodied soul going and flying off like a cosmic astronaut to some distant location in our world. The New Testament talks about, hey, Jesus is risen from the dead. He is in, he's now in charge of creation, and he is putting creation to rights. That's what we find in Scripture. So we come to um, Revelation chapter 4. So if the Bible doesn't really talk about going to heaven, but talks about heaven crashing into earth, what in the heck is heaven about? Right? Well, hopefully you're thinking about that. Okay, so what's the relevance of heaven? I'm going to do my best to um, flesh that out. So we come to Revelation chapter 4. St. John has a vision, and uh, the heavens open up. And uh, he gives us a heavenly sketch or a sketch of this heavenly unfolding drama in um, heaven. We'll begin in verse, verse 1. Do we have that? Good job, guys. And this is what he writes. After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne. Everyone say a throne. So we've got a throne in heaven, stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden, golden crowns on their heads. And from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass, like crystal. And around the throne and each side of the throne are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature, this exotic creature like a lion. The second living creature like an ox. Language is a funny thing. What, what St. John is trying to do, he's using language and symbols to give us a description of what language fails to give us. He's trying to describe something beyond language here. And so he describes the third living, the third living creature with the face of a man and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. Verse 8, and the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within and day and night. They never cease to say, holiness is troubled, which is really important. But they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. 
And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. So we have this heavenly sketch. What do we have? We got worship. We have some singing, right? Did we see some singing in there? Okay. Uh, we have, we got some joy, right? We got some celebration. How many like to party? All right. So we got a, like a, like a, oh, I'm not going to say that. We got a party. Uh, we got a throne. We have an emerald rainbow. We got some exotic creatures. Uh, we got a glass sea. We got a little bit of thunder and a little bit of lightning. We got some fire and smoke. If you were born in the 80s, this is not a Metallica concert, right? If you were born in the early part of the 2000s, this isn't Beyonce. Like, she's not there. I know we got thunder, lightning, fire, and smoke. The point that St. John is trying to make, in several points, but that heaven is dynamic, Heaven is not static, it's not inert. You're not, um, people are not floating around on some sort of disembodied clouds or, or cloud. Um, yes, there's cello, but, but a cello is more symbolic of the beauty of, of music that this heavenly court, this heavenly sketch um, is, again, um, experiencing. Uh, so heaven is robust, it's animated by God's spirit, and it's solid. Everyone say solid. You got exotic, exotic creatures. It's, heaven is tactile. You can touch it. You can experience it. It's not some sort of non-temporal, non-spatial, disembodied experience or reality. But here's the thing. When people regularly read Revelation chapter 4, are you guys still with me? Yeah. Revelation chapter 4. Many people assume that St. John has a, a, is that me? Okay, is that the Holy Ghost? All right. Um, they usually assume that St. John is seeing a future reality or somehow this is our future destiny. Like this is heaven at some distant point in the future. In fact, they're, they're misreading it. What they need to see is that St. John is having a revelation of present reality. In other words, this is an ongoing thing that's taking place right now in the present. In other words, heaven is the other hidden dimension of our ordinary life. Heaven is not some future distant thing that we'll all experience according to St. John's vision. Heaven like that is already happening. There's joy, there's victory, there's singing, there's life. God's spirit is animating it. This is exciting to me because even though we live in earth and things aren't going our way, heaven is still celebrating. Heaven is still in charge, and we'll talk more about this. Heaven is still worshiping Jesus, who is the one who came, uh, is the one who will come, and will win the victory over all evil. And we see this in this picture. But if you're a skeptic here tonight, or maybe you're a flat literist, literalist, I just want you to open your mind now, okay? So in about, can you give me five minutes? We're going to give you Tylenol at the end of this five-minute section, but just kind of go with me. Many of us... And we've inherited this legacy of a closed system. Like when we think about like our world, we think of it as a continuum. Like we don't, literally don't think of it, but we assume this is how the world works. It's a continuum where you have space, time, and matter, and that's it. 
In other words, creation is simply a time-space-matter machine, and there's nothing beyond it, right? We feel this. The science guy has told us this. You probably took a high school science class, and this is exactly what they teach. They teach that all there is is the world, the material world we call our space or earth. But when we come to Scripture, what we find And this is just so exciting and freeing for me, is that the Bible says that creation is a heaven and earth um, construct. In other words, um, creation is not just earth and that's it, and then you have heaven maybe six trillion miles in deep space. No, what we find is that heaven and earth, they're distinct and they're separate but they overlap and they interlock with each other in ways we can't see, in ways that go beyond our ability to perceive it. So creation is a heaven and earth construct. Isaiah chapter 66 verse 1 says this, Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me and what is the place of my rest? So heaven and earth belong together. Now, here's the thing. Usually when we think of heaven, come on, I'm just going to, this is how I think, and I've been in ministry for 20 years, and, and I know pretty much all of us in this room think this way about heaven. Heaven is a non-physical, non-temporal, non-spatial reality, right? And earth, earth is where we live. That's the world that's physical and solid and firmed up, etc. But when we come to scripture, what we find in the words of many different scholars, it seems like heaven and earth are two different kinds of space and two different kinds of matter and two different kinds of time. So heaven, in other words, is not way out there. Heaven is the other half of creation, and it intersects with our life, our Mondays, our Tuesdays, our Wednesdays, our Thursday, Friday, Saturdays, in ways that go beyond our ability to perceive. In fact, we see this in Genesis chapter 28. Jacob, he's a people user, right? His bro is a psychopath. Uh, Jacob steals his psychopathic brother's inheritance. He's on the run. He's weary. He's tired. He falls asleep. And he wakes up to a dream. And in his dream, he has a ladder. You can find this in Genesis 28, where the angels are descending and ascending. At the top of the ladder, you have something like the gate of heaven. And Jacob exclaims, I did not know that this was the place or this is the gate of heaven. So I want you to think about the interactive relationship between Earth, which is our space, and heaven, which is God's space. We have in Mark chapter 1, 9 through 11, this is the baptism of Jesus. And Mark, I love Mark, he writes, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens, it's kind of violent, being torn open. It's almost as if space itself is, has a tear And the spirit then descends on Jesus, not like a literal dove, but like a dove. And then we go to verse 11. And a voice came from where? A voice came from heaven and saying, you are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. We find in Acts chapter 9, verse 3, Paul's conversion story. Paul, he's out to 
kill, and persecute Christians. He's on the road to Damascus. He's on a donkey, and a light from heaven knocks him off. We have in Acts chapter 11, verse 9, Peter's taking a nap. How many of you love a nap? All right, he's taking a little siesta, and the heavens open up. The heavens are torn open, and you have something like a sheet that comes down, and God begins to speak to Peter. So when, when we think of heaven, we can't think of it as like some weird location way out there. Heaven is intimately connected. Um, it's, it's intimately um, interlocking and overlapping with our space. It's kind of like, um, how many of you are morning people? Okay, some of you, I love waking up in the morning. I love waking up, especially in my bedroom, when the sun, if you ever feels like it, the sun comes crashing through the blinds of the curtains in the morning, and it's like sunlight scatters all over the room. You got some shadows, but you got some sun. That's how you need to think about heaven scattering or breaking out into, into creation. It's like sun rays breaking out throughout uh, every town and city and country and throughout the world. Uh, the Celtics, um, they had a tradition. They called it thin places. Uh, they felt like there was an invisible curtain that existed between heaven and earth. And there were times where God would like pull the curtain back and you could get a glimpse into heaven. So heaven is God's space. Heaven overlaps with our space Number two, we'll give you Tylenol here pretty quick, but number two, heaven is a throne room. Number one, heaven is God's space. Number two, heaven is a throne room. We could say heaven, in other words, is the control room for earth. Like heaven is distinct, it's separate from earth, but again, it relates to earth. How does it relate to earth? It relates as an executive office. So think about the White House. The White House is the hub of authority in America. Can I get any man? And the president does the work of running the country from the the White House. Not his house, but from the White House. You need to think of heaven as the White House. Uh, And it's this, and it's from this place we call heaven where God reigns over creation, reigns over every detail in our life, reigns over every issue, concern, over our feels, over our circumstances, and over our problems. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. In other words, Jesus is saying the place where the instructions are given and all the commands that are given take place in the White House or in heaven. Heaven is a place of authority. I love this. Um, Jesus, we find in Acts chapter 7, Stephen, he is about ready to lose his life. And you have this kangaroo court, and they decide they're going to take his life. And before they throw stones at him, Stephen looks, gets a, a glimpse into heaven, and he sees Jesus standing on a what? In heaven, he's standing on a throne. And he's standing over this kangaroo court. He's standing over um, the soon-to-be martyrdom of Stephen. And I think it's because of that vision that Stephen had that he was able to go through his martyrdom and lose his life. And before he dies, to forgive his enemies. It's powerful, this vision. We find that Jesus, he gives instructions. Uh, Jesus runs in the entire cosmos, everything from the White House, literal White House now, to your house, to every little detail in your life, Jesus runs it all 
from heaven itself. We also find Jesus interceding for his people. Jesus standing on his throne is an act of intercession. Stephen sees this in Acts chapter 7. How many of you like it when people are praying for you? I mean, there's nothing like it when you know. Come on, how many of you know? Have you had a really good day? And then the next day someone told you, hey, I was praying for you, and you made the connection between the two? Um, Man, there's nothing like knowing that you have people that are praying for you, interceding for you, that they're with you, that they're to support you in the context of prayer. But even if this week no one prays for you, the good news is, and I never want you to forget this, especially this week, the good news is Jesus is interceding for you right now. When you wake up tomorrow, you got the greatest intercessor in cosmic history on your side. And I think he kind of knows how to pray. Right? I mean, how does he pray? Who does he pray? We got the, the, the Trinity. How does that work? I don't know how that works, right? Ask Pastor Ken. He's the smart one. Or Shane, right? Email Shane at hotmail.whatever, right? If you have any questions about heaven and the Trinity. Um, the point is, is that Jesus is making intercession for you from heaven, not from a distant location, but from another dimension hidden in our world. So heaven is where Jesus is ruling creation in his embodied risen state. Some of us think this is, we're shocked by this because we think this is a category mistake. No, 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 Chris, 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 stop it. Are you telling me that Jesus has his firmed up, solid, embodied human body in heaven and he's ruling creation? And I would say, yes, he is. Jesus is not a disembodied soul. Remember, he came back from the dead, and he didn't shed his resurrection body to go into heaven. Again, many of us assume that because we've platonized our vision of heaven, meaning that it's a disembodied, non-temporal space. But no, Jesus in his human form, he's fully God and he's fully man, is reigning our lives Uh, creation itself, he stands over politics as a solidly embodied human. Uh, That's exciting to me. So we get to keep our bodies. Yes, sort of. And we'll talk about that next week. All right, let's move on. Uh, So heaven is a throne room. Number three, heaven is a temporary place for God's people prior to resurrection. We find in Luke chapter 23, I just want to read this story really quick. Verse 42 and 43, uh, Jesus, this is his crucifixion. He's on the cross. There's two young revolutionaries on either side of him. They're having a conversation. This young revolutionary comes to believe in Jesus. And he says to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Verse 43, and Jesus said to this young man, who's sitting or right next to him, says, Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Today. Everyone say today. Today you will be with me in paradise. For Paul, he makes it very clear to be absent for the body is to be present with the Lord. So paradise here is a, it comes from a Greek-Persian um, word. And it simply means it's designated as a temporary place of rest and tranquility where, in the words of one scholar, where the dead are refreshed before resurrection. So heaven 
is more like a hotel and less like our home. How many like vacations? Okay, three of you. Awesome. How many like going to a hotel? You got a golf course. You got the best swimming pool. Would you like that? Like if we paid your way, that would be pretty cool. Like we, and let, let's just say we, we send you to a hotel and you're there for five days. I think you could probably handle that a really nice hotel, right? Again, you, got, you can golf every single day. Uh, you got room service. You got everything. That's great. Um, but hotels are not designed for permanent places of rest. Hotels are designed as temporary places of rest. And this is how we need to think of heaven. Heaven is not our permanent place of rest. Like, there's so many songs and hymns that I just theologically disagree with. And if I hear one of those hymns, there's a lot of hymns I love. But some of these hymns that talk about heaven is our home and it's our final future, I'm just going to walk on out of this church and never come back. I'm kidding. I oversee the hymns and the song selections, okay? But there are hymns that just focus on Kim, like, um, wasn't that Kim? Uh, Kumbaya, that's the word that I'm looking for. Kumbaya, right? And it's just, it's all this folksy, we're going to go and glow like, like disembodied, um, cosmic Rihanna Diamond stuff, right? That's what we're going to be like, but that's not what heaven is for. Heaven is not our final resting place. It's more like a hotel. It is a, 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 trans, um, a transitory place where we go before the final resurrection. Can I get an amen to that? Okay, uh, number four, heaven. We've talked about this before. This gets a little weird. I get it. I don't fully understand this. It's a little bit exotic, but heaven is like a storage place. We find this in 1 Peter chapter 1, 3 through 5. Peter writes in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So it seems like God's future purpose for you, for all of us, for the cosmos, we could even say, this gets a little bit weird, our resurrected bodies are stored up in heaven. So heaven is God's face. Do you believe that? Heaven is God's throne room. Do you believe that? Heaven is a temporary place for God's people prior to resurrection. Do you guys believe that? That's all right. You don't have to believe me. Um, You're wrong, but you don't have to believe me. And four, heaven is a storage for God's future purpose. And finally, we have, um, and this is kind of the last thing when it comes to heaven, you and I, if we belong to King Jesus, we are citizens of heaven. We find this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. But our citizenship, Paul tells us, is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So what does it mean to be a citizen of a town, a village, a country? Well, it means that um, you belong, right? It means that you're a member. Uh, It means that uh, we have a culture. We have an identity. It means that we can't just act any old way that that we would like to. Uh, It means that their ethics matters. 
Can I get an amen to that? How you behave, how you, how you treat your body, how you treat other bodies, how you treat other people, it really does matter. In fact, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, kind of this citizenship idea, um, which Paul borrows from Jesus, um, is, is illustrated. Jesus, uh, his, the dominant motif of his teaching in his kingdom was all about uh, heaven coming to earth. And this is what he announced in his ministry. He, he said, guys, you got to repent and you got to believe for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So the culture of the kingdom, God's power, God's realm, God's authority, this executive office, it's crashing into our space. So, guys, you got to change how you think. You got to go beyond the mind that you're, th- how you're thinking and all that kind of stuff. And you have to reorganize your life around the reality of God's power, his sovereign, loving rule. So the kingdom of God has dramatically arrived has crashed into our space. Jesus is now exercising control, loving. Everyone say loving. Loving control over every detail in our life. He's over the White House. He's over politics. He's over the Democrats, right? He's over the Republicans. He's over all the psychopaths. I didn't mean to, like, conflate all that, but, hey, whatever. Right? He is over it all. Jesus is in charge. So, Chris, as we close here, why does this even matter? Like, how, 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 like this week, how do we put this into practice? Well, the first thing you can do, if we, if we believe that heaven has got space, and if we believe that heaven is, is an executive office, and Jesus in his thoroughly firmed up, solid, human embodiedness is in heaven running creation, and heaven is a temporary place prior to resurrection. And heaven is a place where God's future purpose is stored up. Guess what? You can breathe a big sigh of relief tonight. Right? Why? Well, you can give up trying to be God in your life. You don't have to have all the answers. Right? You don't, you don't have to have, like, all the energy and the strength. You don't. Hey, you don't have to be perfect That doesn't mean we're excusing imperfection. We're just saying, hey, if Jesus is in charge, hey, give up the struggle of trying to be in charge and let God be God over your life. So tonight you're freaking out inside and maybe your feels are all over the place. Hey, here's good news. Right now in heaven, heaven is celebrating. Heaven is talking about the victory of Jesus over all sin and all brokenness and all destruction and over all evil in our world that we experience. It's amazing. So if heaven is rejoicing, then even though we might not feel like rejoicing, we can rejoice. Because heaven is rejoicing. So here's the thing. Like if you downplay heaven, what happens? You're left with a shrunken cosmology. You're left, in other words, with a shrunken vision of reality, right? So if there's no heaven, where, where's Jesus? If there's, or we could say it this way. There's kind of a variation of that. If heaven is way out in the sky in some deep space area and is really unrelated to our life, then we have no hope. Right now, we have no hope. We're left with despair and meaninglessness 
and we have no power to be God's people. We can't be good news people. We can't be people who are filled with hope if we downplay heaven. If we marginalize heaven, we're left with a vacuum. Right? Because reality, remember, heaven, excuse me, creation is a heaven-earth construct. So if you take one half of creation and you marginalize it and you're left with earth, well, something's going to fill that vacuum. And remember, heaven is an executive office where Jesus rules. So if we marginalize heaven, we're left with a vacuum. We know nature abhors vacuum. Something will fill that vacuum. So you're either left with, if we downplay heaven, oh, heaven, talk, that ain't that big of a thing. Right, Jesus ruling creation, that's not that big of a thing. Uh, We're left with despair and meaninglessness, or we are left with arrogance and triumphalism. Something will fill the vacuum. And it's usually powers and authorities that assume they're not accountable to Jesus. So here's the thing. Who's, if we don't have heaven, guys, who's accountable to who? Who's, who's the president accountable to? Obviously, because we're in a constitutional republic, he's accountable to us. But ultimately, who is accountable to who if Jesus in heaven is not related or radically detached from our state of affairs? Like, who's going to hold the Baptists accountable? We all know those Baptists need account, like held accountable, right? Or who's going to hold the charismatics accountable? Who's going to hold me accountable? Just so you know, technically, I'm not the lead pastor. Jesus is. Now, hey, check this out. This is how we think, and I think this is the best way of approaching church governance. We have an elder board that we meet with all the time. They hold me accountable. Got a great executive team that also holds me accountable. We have a group of translocal elders, guys that I'm in a relationship with that hold me accountable. But ultimately, when it's all said and done, it's Jesus, it's heaven itself that holds not just me, but holds every pastor, every leader, every authority, every circumstance. We could just go on and on and on. Everything that would even claim authority is held accountable to Jesus. In fact, what we find in, as I I close in John chapter 19, we have this fascinating conversation between Jesus and Pilate. Pilate looks at Jesus and says essentially, hey, uh, Jesus, um, I-, I can do whatever I want to you, just so you know, right? Okay, so we're on the same page. And so uh, I can kill you if I want to. This is, this is my translation. And Jesus responds by saying, um, uh, you would not have that authority unless it was given to you by someone above. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, number one, your authority is sham. It's a sham. But number two, your authority, any authority that you have over me has been given to you, right? So essentially, Jesus is saying heaven stands over Pilate himself. Hey, if we downplay heaven, we are left with a vacuum. We downplay heaven, anybody, any human authority, any human institution can carve up this world as they please. But because Jesus is ruling in heaven over creation, we know that Jesus stands over and against every authority or any authority that would claim authority over our lives. So here's the good news. Tomorrow, when you wake up in the morning, 
You might not feel like worshiping. You might not feel like doing the right thing. But I want you, I, I want you to remember that Jesus in heaven right now is standing over every circumstance in your life. He's standing over sickness itself. He's standing over despair and pain and hurt and sin and sickness and death itself. Jesus is standing over politics. You might be like, ah, oh, things are going crazy in our world. That's okay, because Jesus stands over crazy. Jesus stands over our bodies. Jesus stands over the circumstances and the details of our life, the good, the bad, the ugly, the great, the seasons, the future, the past, the present. There's not one thing that you can think of that lies outside the range of God's rule. Jesus stands over you. And when you wake up tomorrow and you go through your week, I want you to remind yourself that Jesus is standing, heaven is standing over the details of my life so I can give up being God and I can be assured and I can have the confidence to handle anything that comes my way because there's power that Jesus gives me. And when Jesus stands over us, he doesn't stand at, with, with, with a menacing posture. He doesn't stand with a judgmental finger. When he stands over us, he stands in a posture of love and grace and faithfulness and hope. Come on. The God is faithful. And he stands over our circumstances. And his promises are yes and amen over our lives. So heaven is God's space, and heaven has crashed into our world. Our ultimate destiny is not to go to some disembodied place, right? In fact, heaven is not a disembodied place. It's a different kind of space. It's a different kind of matter. It's a different kind of space. We just don't have the language to talk about it. Jesus, in his embodied state, is ruling the entire world. God's purposes are stored up in heaven. Can I get an amen to that? And God is ruling everything. Amen? I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes. Thank you, Jesus.